Hello, hello, my name is Emeko Kreke and welcome to yet another episode of Dots of Thoughts. This project is under the podcast project called Nkata Podcast Station. So basically, the whole idea for the benefit of those who are listening to me for the first time is that Dots of Thoughts is about impulses, experiences, encounters that I have made recently that has been remarkable, has sparked something inside of me and led to some sort of reflection. First of all, I start inwardly, ruminating on this, thinking about it, and looking for how they connect and correlate to broader context. And eventually, it moves on to becoming a podcast. Within the podcast, I will reach out to someone whom I believe knows a thing or two, or is even the originator or the creator of the particular idea or work or whatever. I sort of like get the person to help me expand on the thoughts that began with me. So that's basically what Dots of Thought is about. And so for this episode, I will be speaking about a body of work, a photographic body of work that was created by a photographer, a South African photographer. Her name is Lebohang Kyange. So I came across this body of work in the book, Africa State of Mind, which was published by Thames and Hudson in London, but put together by the curator, Eko Eshun. And in the previous episode of Dots of Thoughts, I've had a conversation with Equation about the book in general. But today, I want to zero in on this body of work called Ke Lafa Laka, her story, that was created in 2013. I find this body of work very powerful, first of all, in the theme or the subject matter that was treated, which is basically based on this relationship between Lebohang and her mother, who passed on three years before the making of the work. So photography became for her a way of addressing that loss, but also to find the sort of like, it became a conversation between her and her, you know, dead mom who passed on, but also a way of sort of like referencing this kind of like duality that I find very poignant and powerful. But let me now put it in her own words, actually. So I'm looking at the body of work now on her website, which by the way, I encourage everyone who's listening to the work right now to go on her website and get a sense of the uh, body of work in question. So her website is lebohanggyangye.co.za. I encourage you to just pause right now, go to her website, um, look at the images first of all, and then come back to this podcast. On her website, she talks about the work. Three years ago, I lost my mother. She was my main link to our extended family, and past since, we all now live in separate homes. Her death sparked the need to trace my ancestral roots. I needed to locate myself in a wider family on some level and perhaps also to explore the possibility of keeping a connection with her. The idea of the ghost started to emerge in my work. In my journey, I began looking for pieces of my mother in the house. I found many photos and clothes which had always been there but which I had ignored over the years. She was smiling and posing in these clothes. My connection with her became a visual manipulation of her hyphen our histories. I began inserting myself into her pictorial narrative by emulating these snaps of her from my family album. I would dress in the exact clothes that she was wearing in these 20-year-old photographs and mimic the same poses. This was my way of marrying the two memories, mine and of my mother. I later developed digital photo montages where I just opposed old photographs of my mother retrieved from the family archives with photographs of a present version of her me, to reconstruct a new story and a commonality. 
she is me, I am her. And in there remains, in this communality, so much difference and so much distance in space and time. I realized that I was scared that I was beginning to forget what my mother looked like, what she sounded like, and her defining gestures. The photo montages became a substitute for the paucity of memory, a forged identification and imagined conversation. That's it, basically. Now, what I'm going to do is reach out to her, connect with her through Zoom, and we are going to have a conversation about what sparked this body of work, where it was coming from, and how since 2013 it has operated. Or if sort of like it gave her something or gave her some sort of like respite in relation to the absence of her mother. All right, I'm going to reach out to her now, so don't go away. Good morning. Uh, afternoon for me. Ah, it's wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And you are in Johannesburg, right? Correct. I'm in Johannesburg. Okay. How's it? How's it there now? Uh, very hot. Um, and I'm assuming that the numbers are going down with COVID, so mm-hmm. things are sort of getting back to normal to some degree. Great, great. I'm. Uh, I'm in Barcelona actually. Okay. Yeah, I'm glad that you found some time for us to have this conversation. I've been spending some time with your work, which I really encountered because it's not like I don't know the work before. I've seen it before, but, you know, in passing. But it was really in the book that was put together by Eko Eshun, the curator, in this book called Africa State of Mind, um, that I really had, so like, took my time to look at the work. And even more so now on your website as well. I thought to myself that the work is really compelling and powerful. And for me, the entry point was that's like the use of photography and the archive and returning to this whole idea of the social function of photography. But I was sending a question because I've had a conversation with her, sorry, with him two days ago. And we spent a lot of time discussing your work. Something I said to him was that the way you treated the, the, the photographs as if they were alive. And that's for, for me, so like stood out. So can we start from there as an entry point, you know, talk about, um, what were the earliest, you know, impulses, memories that sparked the the need to, to make this work? Um, I suppose thinking about the work um, or thinking back to that process, the idea of textile was really what fascinated me when um, when I first looked at, not that it was my first time looking at my mother's photographs, but when I looked at them, you know, in the two years after she'd passed away and, you know, being fascinated by the fact that a lot of those clothes were still in the house in her wardrobe. Um, and this, these are like clothes from when she was in her 20s, 30s. And so this idea of textile um, and then thinking around um, how these clothes had come to outlive her. So that became, I think, the first um, point of departure for me in terms of the work. And so putting on these clothes um, and almost, you know, bringing her back to life, I think, through these clothes. Um, and so I started to think around photography and and textile and also spaces, because I think when I looked at a lot of the locations where she'd been photographed, I could um, recognize some of them, you know. So I started thinking around the possibility of textile also as archives, so not just these photographs, mm-hmm. but how they, these clothes had also, you know, become almost symbolic of like an archive. 
and these locations, like my grandmother's yard, where most of these photographs had been taken, how, you know, the furniture, you know, so in some of them, for example, I'm on the exact same chair that she was sitting on when she was in her 20s or in her 30s, um, you know, and so, you know, all of these items, like the same curtains, you know, just small things like that. So I started to really think around how a space like a parent's a parent's house or grandparents' house can also, you know, have the same sort of symbolic gestures, I think, as as archives. And so that's really where the work started. For me, what stood out and what made me stop at the at the work is it's not as if we've not seen that kind of technique applied to to photography before. You know, it's something that is common even during analog photography. It was, you know, like the double exposure and all of that. Mm. Thing is very interesting because in 21st century now we are using that technique as a way of projecting our subjectivity onto history. Mm. But there is a way you actually approached. First of all, you are treating something that is from the family archive, the album, and of course you reference this in the text as well, which is that she was sort of like the one who held the family together, and when she passed on, that the family weren't living together anymore. So it was a way also of also referring to that family connection and holding together, which we we'll eventually see when you continue to work with your grandfather, eventually. Um, but I, what, what I find very fascinating is also how you enter the archive with your own presence, how you enter the image, how, where you choose to put yourself eventually. Is it in front? Is it behind? Is it beside? You know, all those little nuances that now sort of like creates a space, a space between that communality that you refer to in your text as well, the communality. But it's also a communality that is, that's, that's my reading. Is also a commonality that is intimate between both of you, that you know the viewer can sense, can have access to visually, but cannot really enter or understand. But it still stays a space where you're able to conjoin sort of like unique intimacy between that she is me, I am her. So can we sort of like spend some time talking about both on the technical level, but also on how you were feeling when you were working with the material? What was informing all of those decisions? to insert yourself, how you decide to insert yourself, where you decide to insert yourself? So I think the reasons there's actually so many differences in terms of positioning myself um, in the different images where I position myself, whether she's in the front, whether I'm in the front or at the back. It was not as simple as the fact that she had become a sort of ghost, um, yeah. but it was really understanding that also when someone passes away, especially someone that's central in your life, mm -hmm. that you also sort of become a ghost. So you take on, so I took on the role of mother to my sister. Mm -hmm. So then I lose a sense of of myself as as daughter as as older sister but i become like mother and older sister yeah. so it, it really has a play i think on who's become the ghost and who who continues to live on um so also in having to assume her role she, she sort of continues to live on through me and taking on you know i'm putting on her clothes and imitating the same sort of gestures as she as she was doing in in the photos her poses her smile she takes on so she takes on my character and I take on her character yeah. through the process. So, you know, so in as much as it, there's the technical element of it in terms of imitating opposes, in terms of the placement of myself, the placement of her, it really is very much, I think, about that process of a transition, that process of a sort of continued life through me. And so it, it for me, it also brings quite a lot of questions also around um, death, you know, and obviously, um, you know, that connection, I think that photography has as well in the conversations around photography and death. 
Very interesting what you talk about thinking of the dead, you know, because this is something that in our society is almost like a place. Let me put it this way. It's a place that the camera does not enter into, you mm. know, um, in our society. And I, I remember when in my earliest body of work where I had to, I was given an assignment in a workshop and about life and afterlife. And so I decided, you know, at that, at that earlier stage to think of my uncle who was working at the morgue in a hospital. And then I used him as an asset, you know, asset into the morgue. And I started photographing the morgue. And when I brought the images to the class and everybody was like, whoa, is it even possible to photograph in there? That story will go on to even lead to when my, that same uncle passed on through an accident. And then I had to go back to the same morgue to photograph him now. Yeah. So, uh, so you have all of that encounter with you know, the dead. How were you even able to process? How did you even get to, the, the, to, 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 to that and say, this is something that is a body of work? And while you were doing it, how were you able to keep up with the fact that you are constantly dealing with something that is highly emotional, someone that is no longer there, but also constantly in this space between life and afterlife as you treat the material all the time? And you still have to keep in mind that it is an artistic work, that it will be out there tomorrow. It will be exhibited. It will become, it will have a life of its own beyond that intimacy that you constantly share with the work. Um, I mean, I think more than anything, the work really provided a space for therapy, right? So in terms of me understanding my practice and understanding um, my relationship with my practice, it's very different at this point, I think, from having worked on that body of work. You know, there is um, an element where for me it has become something that, you know, is more than just around a career, but it also really allows for reflection. Mm -hmm. um, and that particular work really allowed for, I think, therapy. So more than anything, what I'm investigating at this point is really photography and the, the possibilities that it presents, I think, for healing. So that body of work is definitely, I think, my starting point in terms of me having, I think, that, that relationship with photography and how it has that possibility to to aid healing, you know, in as much as I think a lot has been written around photography and its and its relationship with violence, there's also the flip side, which is it allowing for for space for healing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I think with that work, it really I think speaks to that. It speaks I think to memory, both to memory and fantasy and performance, but more than anything, I think to healing. Yeah, wow, this is this is very powerful. Again, healing in a in a in a, a very personal way, but also healing as a process that we are all going through in this, that's become a function of our time in this 21st century, because I think that the 21st century will be a century of healing, of reparation, and it's even more so where we come from, that more and more, it's like the agency is already there. No one gives you an agency. It's already there. You just have to heal enough to be able to understand it and to understand how it works. And speaking of which, I was also thinking that your work for me represents a way of rescuing photography from, you know, how it has been used to describe us, you know, by anthropologists and all of that. And like you said, you know, there's violence. Photography also has its aspect of violence. But also it's, it's almost like this paradox where on one hand it's supposed to elucidate, it's supposed to show, it's supposed to reveal. But at the same time, it orders people and that's how it was used in the colonial times. 
you know, to order people, to define people, but also to limit people who are complex just by the virtue of just being. And I just think that your practice is one of those ways of rescuing the medium, first of all, from itself, and then putting it at the service of our subjectivity, of our own story. I wonder what you think of that. Um, I mean, I think even when you think around the sort of history of, of these photographs, right, in terms of them being part of like family photography and family photographs, them living in like photo albums and the fact that my family didn't have access to a camera. So they had like a local photographer that would photograph every household that you'd call to the house and say, going to be my child's birthday or just like a random day where you want to have your photograph taken and you schedule the time and you'll come in and you will you know you dress up for that particular photograph um and so i think to to also think around i think a sense of agency that they had you know in in that process um wanting to be documented in a very particular way um so in a lot of them you could describe it as she's in her sunday best Mm -hmm, you know because mm -hmm. it's not how she looks on a day-to-day yeah so it also is i think very much around wanting to be documented in a very particular way Mm -hmm. and and so i I don't separate that from from performance Mm -hmm. um but also from a very you know, from also as a document, I think, of her aspirations mm-hmm. of, of of self, you mm-hmm. know, um, in terms of how she would pose, in terms of how she would dress. And also because in looking at my my mother's photo album and, in, you know, obviously then looking at my aunts um, and, you know, just family members that um, were from that particular period, that female, so um, from my family and, um, and neighbours. Um, so just trying to look at what the similarities are in terms of my mother's photo albums, photo albums and their photo albums. Um, and in seeing many similarities in terms of how they were posing, you know, being in the nightgowns, being, you know, um, just, you know, just how they're representing themselves and thinking of the fact that at that time there was only one magazine, I think it was called Drum Magazine, mm-hmm. that where Black people are represented and they were represented, as you'd see, with white magazines. So it's, it was not in any way like anthropological. So they would be posed, they'd be sexy, they'd be beautiful. Um, they would, you know, be out um, outside, like sunset photos. They would be indoor photos. So in, in thinking around that and looking at my mother's photo album and looking at my neighbors, my aunts um, from that particular time, you know, there is those similarities. Um, and so I think Drum Magazine was a big reference in terms of how they were posing. And, so, and you were referring we, to that history as well as you were looking at the images? Not initially. So... And then doing the second part of Gilefalaka, um, where I then went on this journey of of finding family members and traveling around South Africa, you know, so looking at our broader family history. Um, then I, you know, then I looked more and more at my the rest of my family and in terms of their the photo albums. Um, and then in looking at my aunts and, you know, mainly the women in my family and looking at how they were posing and them all being in like their nightgowns. And, you know, I then started to see, I think, those similarities. So I think when I started um, her story, it definitely was not it definitely was not referencing Dry Magazine. But in then doing the broader research on my family and then, you know, looking at the rest of my family photo albums, 
I then made those connections. So her story and her story um, make up Gilefalak and they coexist, I think, because, you know, because they both sort of really informed each other and they both look at fantasy, they look at memory. Um, and it's not really necessarily my family story. I think it's a story that a lot of people can relate to. And yeah. I, especially I think in thinking around the time that we're living in right now mm-hmm. with COVID, with so many people having lost loved ones, you know, and just wanting to find, I think, uh, some sort of grounding that this really is a is a, is a body of work that um, is really not about not about my family. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It goes beyond that. And of course, again, like I said, you know, in one of my postings on Instagram about the work is it's like it allows that space to have that intimacy to be seen, to be felt. But also um, going beyond that, it's almost like you get a, an understanding of that intimacy without really and necessarily needing to enter the space of that intimacy is is almost as if it's a part that that um that you reserve for yourself and your mom i think it's very much underscored by the fact that you look so much like your mom it was always you know everyone telling us that we don't look alike <laughs> like anyway so um so I, I think that with with the photographs um they reveal i think that resemblance but mm-hmm. in, in growing up it was always like you guys don't look alike in any way yeah um, yeah. So I mean, again, again. So in the photograph, you is the positioning. Would uh, you you wearing the same clothes, and then positioning yourself and having the same? Because you say you said in the, in the text that you even started to forget her gestures, and gesture is so important in 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 photography, but also in the narrative, in the articulation of the of the body of the body language, which is also very central to the conversation we're having today as as black people, as or, or people in general, is that body. What is the place of body? So gestures, it's so interesting that you you emphasize that. And we can see it in the in the in the photographs that the communality is you always being sensitive to how she portrayed herself. There's so much agency given to that. There's so much importance given to how she portrayed herself in those images. And for me I feel like that's really where the images came alive is all the subtleties are there, all the nuances are there, but yet it fits very much in the everyday. And this is again something that I want to, you know, discuss with you. It's like this whole notion of the everyday. So when you were going through the album, did you did you go, okay, this is the this is the one that I want, and this one she's not smiling, she's not happy. I'm not going to use this one. Did you sort of like went through some extra length to curate the album? Um, so I think the selection of of the images that I then um, sort of reenacted had a lot to do with either the clothes still being in a photo album in her wardrobe, um, so the clothes being readily available, maybe the the furniture in my grandmother's house still being the same. And so I think it was dependent on a lot of those things and availabilities. But in terms of ones where maybe the it was not the same sort of clothes, but I, I felt a deep connection with that particular image, I still found ways to reenact those. So maybe finding a dress that's very similar. But I think that more than anything, also in thinking around gesture, I'm just, I'm struggling to remember who the author was, but they were speaking around, um, I'm just trying to think if it was Jacques Derrida, Mm -hmm. um, someone passing away and the guilt that comes with loss, Mm -hmm. right? And Mm -hmm. so also in thinking around gestures and forgetting someone and forgetting someone's gestures, there is a guilt that comes with with loss. Mm -hmm. And so it's also, I think, around... um, 
how do you navigate that? So in as much as the work is about is about loss, but it is also around ce- um, celebrating. Mm-hmm. And so I think that the idea of gestures and just looking at the photograph over and over again when you are restaging or reenacting it, you know, and just being reminded that actually she did, you know, that she did this like every day. Like I speak with my hands, right? Mm-hmm. So that is a like that is a gesture that's specific to me. You know, and so you begin obviously when you see someone less, you begin to forget those gestures that are so specific to that person. You know, and so I think that in in restaging and reenacting, it becomes like a re- reminder that actually she smiled like you know, she she you know, she only showed, let's say, her front teeth when she smiled, you know, or whatever. So in that navigation, I think, of of guilt, it's also very much a a celebration, I think, of of the person. Yeah, so yeah. So I think that there are many things that without um, anticipating them when you, when I started the body of work that began to come up. So that's why the for me, that work really speaks closely to healing and to therapy um, and to different ways, I think, of working through trauma. And, and, and now you've also added to the, you've basically pointed to how healing and therapy could also be part of celebration, as opposed to mm-hmm. it's not always something that is only repairing something. But it's also mm. something that is giving life, mm. which is which is celebration. This is just amazing. And when you when you talk about all of this, like, but also now we're talking about gestures, because I think again, the way we have been photographed in the continent is that most of the images that comes from the continent has to be eventful. There is no mm. ordinariness that mm. becomes extraordinary. But in our life, in fact, we thrive by that sort of like ordinariness in our everyday life. You know, all those little gestures, they come from a place. They are all cultural codes, but they have not been depicted in our photographs. They, not been, they've not been even treated like it's important enough to be a subject matter. Mm. You know, it is always about all those extremes that, of course, it's true, but are they really primary? Are they supposed to be the theme? But now when we are discussing things like gestures, remembering um, the guilt of... of um, Forgetting. Or forgetting, you know. Mm-hmm. And then we come back to the same, how do we move forward from this narrative that we have as a, as a people? How do we move forward in this 21st century? Is it by rehashing the same loss, loss, loss all the time? Or is it by entering this really like very uncertain but very uh, rewarding process of of healing and celebration at the same time, you know, and I, I think that I've been looking for words and words and words and words to find a way I feel to really articulate the way I feel about that body of work. And yeah, it still comes back to, well, you know, it's all that the fact that we have all of this, it's all intertwined, history, memory, projecting, finding a way to relate to the past without necessarily being stuck in it is that duality that is somewhat, somewhat reminiscent of the Trinity that we have, you know, the, that in the Trinity, they tell you that these three, they are one, but they're actually three, you know. So it's a, mm-hmm. it's a huge uh, contradiction, but at the same time, it makes sense. Or at least you can just take it the way it is. That's how I feel about that kind of duality. And we have that also with the Igbos from the east of Nigeria. We have that sort of like duality where, where one thing stands, something else stands beside it. It doesn't stand in front of it. It doesn't stand behind it. It stands beside it. It doesn't stand above it. 
It's not the hierarchy. It stands beside it. So you feel that also in the images. Now, one thing I want to ask you, though, is you, you made the work in 2013. So since then, what are the kind of readings come to you through people, through how have you been able to understand the work even better in hindsight now? Jeez, I mean, so much has happened since, since that work. So, I mean, I started working on it in 2012 um, and stopped in 2013, you know, making a body of work that's extremely personal. Um, and that work being exhibited, um, that work being collected, you know. And so I think for me, in terms of personal work, you know, I think I have many questions in terms of personal work that comes out into into the world. So those are definitely, I think, where my headspace is at, I think, is definitely in relation to that right now. But it's definitely, I think, for me, that the space that I'm in conversation with myself around. It's like giving birth to a child and then it's, you know, you have to let let the child go to school, let the child, so it becomes, he's no longer yours. It's like, he belongs to the world, <laughs> you know, because he has to take in all of these different experiences. And so that really is, I think, more than anything, where my headspace is at in terms of the work and in terms of the practice. And I mean, I think around specifically when the work first showed in the Biennale, which was, um, I think, two years after I'd made it, the Pamako Biennale. And, um, and it was the the sort of poster image for the Biennale. So it was on billboards when we like drove from the airport um, into, you know, into the city. It was the cover of the book, you know, and all of these things. So, you know, and that for me was like, you know, in as much as we had, you know, we discussed it. But I think to see it and to see, you know, to see my mother all over Malawi. Sorry, not Malawi, Mali. I was so taken aback by that. <laughs> and, you know, and I mean, many, many other things I think have happened since then. But it's definitely, you know, so from an image that was never really ever meant to be printed more than A3 max, ideally normal family photo size, you know, was always really how I had imagined the work and the scale. So quite intimate, quite small, you know. And so to see it, I think, large scale, like billboard life scale. Yeah, I mean, that has always been, I think that, that that really stuck with me. So that particular time coming into, you know, into Bamako from the airport and seeing that first billboard, I mean, they were everywhere, but seeing that first billboard <laughs> and seeing myself and my mother, like in that sort of life scale with just people passing by, people seeing it and, it, you know, and it almost felt like I had no ownership of, of the work of her, of myself, I think anymore. So I think that that is really where I would where I would leave that conversation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so now, have you been able to come to terms with with this? What was? How have you been able to deal with that? Or so, like to. I don't know if there, there is currently, and I mean, this is many years ago, but I don't know if there is. I mean, because my my process and my work is very much around. Um, personal stories. I mean, I've, I've continued the research and the journey of trying to locate my family, of traveling around South Africa. So it is very much a continuous body of work in terms of the earth story around my family history, my grandfather, um, and the family name um, and, you know, migration and forced removals. 
So I don't know if there's a resolve as yet. It's probably still coming to me. And I'm not saying that it's a bad thing as well. I'm just saying it was definitely not like one of the main things I thought about. So I don't create work and think around an audience. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I think when that finally happens and the work is sort of complete or even, you know, I don't know if work is is ever complete, but when it's time to, to come out into the world, and then that process comes where there's an audience, there's viewers, there's, you know, collectors, there's writers, there's all of those things. It sort of changes, well, at least for me, it changes the relationship, I think, to the work. Mm-hmm. So that's why for me, it's always been the most honest work. Not that that was my earliest work, but that definitely became one of the works that really went out into the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in as much as there's been many other works that have come up, after that but I think it will always be special because it's almost like um, one of my friends a musician and we speak about one of her earlier songs which I think is absolutely beautiful her later songs are more they're just cleaner they're um, they're just more you know she's just got many things right Mm -hmm. but the first the first one of her earlier songs there's just something quite raw and quite beautiful, I think, about that that song, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I think it really is is that work for me. As you're saying this now, just thinking, you know, uh, to what extent this now informs continuation of the work when you now had to take it to your grandfather, who you didn't meet, um, mm-hmm. but um, you had a lot of stories about him because he happened to make his home like this um, intersection for, you know, Many people coming by and uh, going on their journeys because, you know, the story. And then he started treating the material that way and also using the, again, using the archive. But this time around, the approach is different. So I was wondering to what extent what you are saying now, this sort of like informed the approach you took to this uh, newer body of work. So that body of work also came around the same time. So it was like they were actually produced in the same two years, like, so I was working on the images of, of my mother, but also working on traveling and finding those of my, my family members and producing her story. So, but it was two very different processes, mm-hmm. um, you know, and so even in terms of just as I continue with the body of work around my grandfather and my, the, the larger family narrative, the technique is definitely different. But to what degree it's informed by, by what we just spoke about, I'm not sure to what degree. I definitely do think that the approach is is somewhat informed, you mm-hmm. know. So I suppose to a large degree, it, it, it is a question of what do you reveal, what do you conceal, right? And so that I think has definitely been on my mind quite a bit in terms of what do you, it's like writing a book, what do you hold out? You know, it's like when you tell a story, um, and I suppose to a large degree, even in thinking around my family and the stories that they were telling me, there were definitely things that they were concealing. There were definitely things that they were not comfortable sharing because that also changes how you then think around your family and what you understand your family to be. Mm-hmm. So I think for me, more than anything, it, it is at this point I understanding that memory, I think, lives alongside fiction and fantasy and um and so it's like to to really keep i think a good balance i think between the two is is important so in as much as i'm revealing but you know it's also conceal yeah exactly so <laughs> and as i was looking at the at the new body of work i felt like you went more thematic you went more mm-hmm. this is a, a body of what is it an artistic project and mm-hmm. you are considering all the not all the, but many of the 
conversations, artistic conversations happening, conceptual conversations happening, intellectual conversations happening around uh, a body of work. And I have a feeling that it was all the feedback you were getting from the, the work you started on your mom that you weren't really considering all of those aspects when you were doing it. You were just focusing on that relationship between you and your mom. But now the work has led to all these ways of reading it. And then you started to say, like, when you're thinking about your, grandma, your grandfather now, you started thinking in a, a correlated way. You are thinking beyond yourself. Now you are thinking, I want this to be inscribed in a way of reading our narrative, our time. That's what I feel. I think not necessarily. Um, so, for example, so that particular work came at a time, I think, out, while I was working on TV on set. So I was working as like a resident photographer, so photographing the publicity content for local TV shows, right? While I was there, I was really fascinated with set design and how these sort of cardboard situations were creating an illusion of a world, right? Um, And so when I started doing this research on my family, that sort of came into play um, without me actually even making that connection. Mm -hmm. That because I was so fascinated with um, set design on on films and on on, um, TV shows that I was working on, So that sort of came into play in terms of my artistic practice and how I then decided to then depict my family stories. It really came from me being part of these sets on TV, these stories that I was a part of with absolutely no idea as to how that body of work would take shape. And then thinking around the possibility of I could actually create sets, you know, um, print these images that I was collecting from family members, these stories, write them down and jot them down and draw them as I imagine them and then recreate them um, in terms of building these life-size sets, um, you know, and then creating the illusion of like perspectives in terms of scaling, um, in terms of where do I place myself when I perform in front of these sets Mm -hmm. as my grandfather. So wearing a suit, wearing a hat um, and and, you know, and acting him out, you know. And then I saw that, you know, going forward to 2018, that you, you, you carried on. But this time around, you have sort of like removed the face. It's the same mm. approach, but you've now removed the face and you've rendered the images sort of like monochrome. And mm. there's a sort of like opacity now, which you have also um, referenced in, our, in the conversation here, that sometimes you reveal, but also it's important to keep back. So... We, we get a sense of the opacity here. So what informs that now? What informs this approach of, there's even, uh, I saw something on your website where you called an earlier body of work you made, but then you made a 2020 version of it. But this time around, your face is out. But I think it's from, from the 2013 work, but then you have a 2020 version of it. Can we talk about that transition a bit? I mean, I think more than anything. So in thinking around from the earlier work, Black to Fairy Tales, to her story um, and then to like the later works now. This idea I think of of shadows and you know and that connection I think to a spirit and ancestors and definitely the relationship that you know those sorts of conversations have to photography is really I think where you know where I am right now just mentally and thinking around you know people that have passed on and their spirits and ancestors you know, and especially I think because my work speaks to that, but also it really is very much, I think at this point, because I am looking at language quite a bit at the moment, 
especially because the work started with me thinking around my family name, um, Khanye, and which means light. So, wow. you know, so that aspect of light being, being important. So when we, I don't know if one of the works are actually on, on the website yet, which is which is basically translates to lighthouse keeper. And, you know, and, and it's a, it's a donation that has a light in the center that rotates and it creates these shadows of these cardboard cutouts around the space. Um, and so I think definitely that the, the conversation around my family name and trying to research its origins, trying to find, because it's built in four different ways, trying to, you know, and this is where the project really started, trying to get the sort of correct name and the implications of that in terms of language, you know, thinking on the fact that in South Africa, we have 11 official languages. And so so in thinking around, I think the meaning of the name, which is Kanye, which is light, um, you know, so I think it really becomes like an extension of that to a large degree. It becomes an extension of this conversation that I'm having um, through my practice and through my research of um, of light and shadows and um, and ancestors and spirituality um, and that relationship with with photography of me trying to make those connections with photography. And one can say that in that consideration of light, you know, which is mm. you know with your surname that it also includes or considers or has a place for the obscure right mm-hmm. okay okay um this has been a very wonderful conversation yeah Lebo Han. <laughs> thank you for inviting me it's yes. great <laughs> yes yes and um one thing that i want to say also i'm sorry i'm saying thank you for your instagram post and the text um and i think that's what led us here um just you know, your understanding, I think, and your reception of, of my work. Um, so thank you for that. No, no, it's, uh, of course, you know, I think I've said it several times already, begin to sound, begin to sound like a broken microphone or record. Um, mm-hmm. It is, <laughs> it is a very powerful work and I'm, and I'm happy, you know, I, I, I think, you know, to take it to somewhere, to something beyond just saying powerful, I think it is at a time when we are supposed to be also teaching photography and a way of seeing because photography can be powerful if it is considered from that place of a way to articulate, a way to articulate our voices, a way to articulate our, our way of being, our psychology, our duality. There used to be a time when duality is identity crisis, <laughs> you know. But going forward, it won't be anymore because we are beginning to learn how to, we are beginning to get a better appraisal of that duality and how it operates in the world that we live in. Now, photography is going to come in because duality is already nuanced. And I think this is where your work fits in. It was able to articulate that in all the nuances, all the duality without necessarily closing off, without necessarily giving some sort of conclusion that we say end of conversation because, and yet at the same time, it was able to capture and, and give you a sense that this is a thing, this is tangible, this is one, this is whole. It is not complexity for complexity's sake. And I think that going forward, we are going to always come back to these kind of works as in, our, in the history of you know, photography in the continent, from the continent, we are going to come back to these kind of works as a way of understanding how we took back the agency of the, of, of the camera, of photography, and used it for us, ourselves in our own narrative. When we begin to teach photography, history of photography in schools and everything, we're going to come back to works like yours. And again, it's all inscribed in there. You don't have to say feminism. You don't have to say woman empowerment. It's all in there. You don't even have to use those words. And for me, I'm very much in there to works like that. I don't have to make 
those things stand out. It's basically a conversation of our time. If we are really relevant in our time, we should be looking at the woman. We should be looking at motherhood. We should be looking at healing, nurturing. All of that is inscribed in the work. So that's why I find it very, very powerful. But also, also, something else. Your website is great. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, and, and you made it very accessible. I like the way you laid out um, as, a, as a photography. It's not just photography. You do also, I mean, it's, it's performance. It, it's all intertwined. As a space, as a cyberspace presenting your work, I think you were able to make it really accessible. I like the fact that you divided it into the actual work, but also the context. Really interesting. I'm saying this because of, for the benefit of our listeners, you won't understand what we are saying here if you've not gone to Lebo Hang's website. You have to check it out. It's uh, lebohangkyangye.co.za. Yeah. So yeah, that's it. Once again, thank you very much. Huh, for, for Thank this. you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So hopefully, hopefully, uh, we are going to meet each other in person one of these days. Yeah. <laughs> Keep well and thank you so much. Yeah, you too. Uh. Have a lovely day. Uh. You too. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. So that's been a very wonderful conversation with uh, Lebohan Kyange. If you've made it to this point, well, thank you for being with us, for sticking with us. If you have questions, if you have comments, please leave it in the comment section of your most preferred listening platform. Once again, you know that you can listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Google Podcasts, and up to 10 other podcast platforms out there. But most importantly, you can also access it on our website, nkatapodcast.com. And if you want to support the project, consider checking out our Patreon page. It is nkatapodcast.com slash Patreon. Thank you so much and see you in the next episode. Bye-bye.